0: Hello, hello, you found us again on Boomerangs. This is Ruth. And this is Mike. We have a lot of very interesting subjects to go into. The first is the Ahmed Arbery case and the verdict, or I should say the verdicts. We also want to talk about the passing of Stephen Sondheim, who was 91 and died on Saturday. Yeah. We saw Licorice Pizza last night, so it's becoming a trend. We see movies together and we talk about them together. Yes, yes. Oh, and I forgot the Omicron variant of the coronavirus. Right. Onward and upward. Let's talk about Ahmaud Arbery. Holy smokes. You know, you were the first one who communicated with me about it. Mm -hmm. I was having my nails done and I got your text. I nearly cried. I was really prepared for it to go the other way. I was
1: too. I thought maybe they'd get them on the kidnapping or whatever, some of the lower counts.
0: And I felt like I did when Derek Chauvin was convicted. Oh, yeah. I had this wave of sadness because I just thought about the fact that this young man died. Oh, I
1: know. It's horrible. But and the way that he died. Yeah. Oh, my God. And if you watch the trial and see the videos, it's horrifying. I'd seen the portion of the video on the news where they show the actual shooting happening. That's all I've seen. But when you precede that with the way two trucks and two guns or more, they kept corralling him. He would run off this way, so they would drive around the block and come around this way to head him off at the pass, and then he would turn and run the other direction, and then another truck would come in from there. They really made a sport out of it. It was like hunting a fox.
0: This was all videotaped by the guy? It was a mix they're...
1: of videos, and I don't know exactly which video covered which. But his video, Brian, I think was his name? Yes. His video showed the shooting for sure. But there was also some surveillance video from one of the neighbors thing that showed the driving patterns. Wow. So there was a compilation that the New York Times put together and posted online. I know, in their minds, they were after a bad guy who was doing bad stuff in the neighborhood. But the prosecutor did such an incredible job. Her first line of her opening argument was, Travis McMichael acted on assumptions. That was the first sentence. And the whole case hinged on, they just made assumptions with no valid rationale of who he was, what he was doing, how, not just unwelcome, but how wrong it was for him to even be in their neighborhood. And then making his running, they turned Mm -hmm. that into a crime. He's running because he did something.
0: Oh. So we have to head him off.
1: And all this driving around with the pickup trucks, it was terrifying.
0: Oh, because I don't have TV. I didn't see it. Yeah. But I know that I can't watch those things. Yeah. I saw the shooting of Walter Scott in his back by a cop who then put a weapon near him. And I just realized that I can't watch those. I've never seen the George Floyd video. Oh, I have seen some of that. Yeah. I saw it leading up to him being taken out of the car. Right. And laid right, on the ground. Right. But that was as far as I got.
1: Well, we don't have to look at it. Hearing about it is enough. But what's great is, at least in this case, the jury got to see it. Yes. And boy, the prosecutor, Linda Donikoski, she was incredible. She was. She was so folksy and real she connected with them with a jury that was, that one, was one 11, 11 white and one yeah. black yeah and she connected to that glynn county i think it's called georgia jury i just was astounded especially on the heels of the written house thing
0: and the amazing thing to me was that she didn't bring race into it until her mm-hmm. final argument Mm -hmm. She said he was hunted down because he was a black man, but she made it as if anyone, any one of us was running down the street and was cornered. She didn't have to mention that he's black.
1: One reason, I mean, it was strategy too, is to connect with them better and not awaken whatever dormant feelings of racism probably are lurking in them and in all of us, unfortunately. But they played the 911 call. This was so damning. It's Travis McMichael. And he says, 911. And the operator says, What's your emergency? And he goes, There's a black male running down the street. That was the emergency. Who calls 911? Because there's a black male running down the street. He could be jogging. I think that's what he was doing. He he was jogging. Yeah. They didn't say, there's a black man breaking into my house. There's a black man burning a car across the street. There's a black man with a gun. No. His crime was, he was He's a black, black man. I mean, in their minds, that was criminal. Well, he
0: was running while black.
1: In their neighborhood.
0: Yeah. Oh, my
1: God, too. And the mugshot of Travis McMichael, it was right out of deliverance. They cleaned him up for the trial. They gave him glasses. They gave him glasses. They cut it. His beard was huge and bushy, like oh, the Brother's cough drop. Ugh. That's a boomer reference. He looked frightening. Yeah, they made him look very milk toast in the, They did. In the, but even in the trial, she was cross-examining him. And oh, he so looked up a lot. I'll, yeah, she'd say something like, And so you were concerned that he was going to do what? And he goes, Well, I, I don't know. I didn't know what he could do. That's just the thing. He could have done anything. He just laid bare the fact that he was in a white paranoia frenzy, you know, and acting from it. And I didn't think, like you said, I didn't think the jury would turn on him. I thought they would relate to that sense of, oh, well, if a strange black man was running around my neighborhood, I'd be scared too. I thought they would identify with him. I did too. But they didn't. Yeah. And they turned that verdict around pretty quickly.
0: Really quickly. 11
1: hours. There were 27 counts in all when you multiply by three. Oh, yeah? Yeah. There's a lot of housekeeping they had to do. If it hadn't been for the video, they never
0: got taken to jail. They got questioned and released. Yes. And that was going to be the end of it. And that was going to be the end of it until this videotape, which was by their friend. Their neighbor. And he thought it was going to exonerate them.
1: Because it was going to show that, don't you see?
0: There was a black man
1: running along the street. Yeah. Who wouldn't shoot?
0: Well, you know, they're not done. They're going to be tried on federal hate crimes. Justice has prevailed. Well, we should touch on the Omicron variant.
1: It's a new stock that we're recommending. Well, Amazon actually, the,
0: <laughs> the stock market did not react well to hearing about it. That's true. Yes, except Teladoc
1: went up the day everything else went down. Oh, it did? Well, because they're afraid of a new lockdown. Wave, And so yes. Teladoc is rising.
0: But Well, Zoom and Peloton. Will... And
1: Zoom went up, too.
0: Oh, it did. Yeah. Um, well, I hope it doesn't happen. Well, we I don't know just... yet.
1: By the time this is posted, we'll know a lot more. A m- lot more. It's popping up everywhere. Is it? All over the place. It's in Canada
0: so it will be here soon I'm sure if it isn't already. Well you think if it's highly contagious then whoever has it has been in rooms with other
1: people. That's right. But so far what I've read is the little that they do know about it seems to appear that it's not particularly virulent. That it's not not like a killer virus. Oh, it's it's just highly contagious.
0: Yeah. Highly, highly contagious. And they haven't
1: I think the jury is out on whether the current vaccines will guard against it or not.
0: Well, that was what really gave me pause when I read that there was real concern that the vaccines might not right. take us from it. Oh, <clears throat> could you
1: imagine if we had to go back into, a, into something like that? I just couldn't even picture it.
0: I can't either. I can't. (laughs) Um, I don't know what we would do. I can't imagine going back into lockdown again. Right. Although we survived it once, but I just, I don't want to go back there. And we may have to, and that would be truly awful.
1: We'll soon find out. They seem to be handling it so well. They're so proactive. makes you wish they could have been that way when the first one came out.
0: And if only everybody would wear masks and 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 get get vaccinated. Yeah, it is. Shall we go on to... Stephen Sondheim. Sondheim
1: passed away on Saturday. Yep.
0: Well, you knew him.
1: I did. I knew him for just a moment, but it was great someone was talking about I think it was Ben Brantley from the time oh. New York Times uh-huh. and he was saying that in Pacific overtures he said the the best song he thought was someone in a tree where you have one event being remembered by three different people in three different ways mm-hmm. and that there's a line in that song that says it's the fragment not the day that is happening it's the ripple not the stream and he thought that that was a good example of how Sondheim was as an artist that he was really into the part. Parts, the individual parts that make up the whole, yeah. which makes sense because he loved games and he loved puzzles he used to write crossword puzzles for I the know. New York Times. I and, know, I know. Um, yeah. It was just great. Well,
0: but, there was a picture in the New York Times today of people as if he were Princess Diana. People sobbing uh, in the street that was really touching.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I felt sad, like it's a terrible loss and ending. I kind of had been psychically preparing myself for it, I think. Because at 91, I just figured, how long can this go on? And he was on Colbert, I think it was a month or so ago. And he wasn't exactly spry, yeah. you know. And he'd shrunk. Okay. The years were really showing. But he still had this impish grin. And I'm sure you heard him on Terry Gross a while back. Was it for his 90th birthday or 80th? No. I don't remember. He said, I th- I still think I'm 22 until I look in the mirror and see this old man staring back at me. <laughs> <laughs> you know? but such a delicious human being. I found out about him at a point in my life as a high schooler where I was really struggling. All this conflict about being gay, everything seemed to be falling apart. And I saw that documentary about company. It's not like this song or that song or whatever hit me, but I saw these New York Broadway people doing this amazing thing and singing these amazing songs. And I just couldn't believe it. And I thought, I need to go there. I need to be around those people. And I wrote him a fan letter. I was 15 years old, I think. And in the letter, I said, I think I'm probably being too effusive and too over the top, but I can't help it. And in a week, there was a letter in the mailbox (gasps) with my name typed into it. And he said, in like two sentences, he says, Dear Mike Lambert, thank you for your very kind letter. Far from being flowery, it did my ego an enormous amount of good.
0: I never heard that story before.
1: That was my first contact. When I later got to meet him and be in his place and like have a dinner with him, I remember saying to him, this is so weird. He says, what? I said, well, you're Stephen Sondheim (laughs) and I'm sitting in your house and we're talking and I'm not nervous. I don't understand it. And he goes, oh, he said, I do. I said, well, what's happening? He says, people are intimidated by my work. Because of that, they think that I'm an intimidating person. And so they expect when they meet me for me to be overbearing and over meticulous and critical and judgmental. But he said, I'm not intimidating. And it was
0: true. He was was friendly. The scope of his work was so phenomenal, going from Company to Sweeney Todd to Pacific Overtures.
1: Yeah, and they're all unlikely... Follies. ...subjects.
0: Well, you were the first person to introduce me to Stephen Sondheim. He wasn't well-known. I had a record of a tribute to him that had Broadway Baby sung by... Ethel Chate. Yes. I know
1: that tribute album. I think
0: I played that until it warped.
1: yeah. I don't know. It's just a great guy. And when I had my first phone conversation with him, and I called to congratulate him when A Little Night Music, the film, won an Oscar. It won an Oscar for Best Score Adaptation. So on a dare, I called and I got an answering service. And I said, please tell Mr. Sondheim that Mike Lambert said congratulations on the Oscar. And then I walked home after the Oscars. It was late at night. And the phone rang, you know, and I picked up the phone. And he goes, Mike Lambert? And I said, yeah he says this is steven sondheim i said i know and he goes can i ask you a question and i said yeah and he says do i know you <laughs> i said not yet and, oh but the coolest thing was we started talking about streets in los angeles oh. he, he was going to be going out to la and so he's oh i love driving around la and i love how the streets that go east and west have english names like wilshire and Beverly and the streets that go north and south have Spanish names like La Brea and La Cienega. And I, he was so wrong. He completely wrong. Yeah, that was his concept and I didn't want to disabuse him of it. But I said to him, do you ever do Laurel Canyon or Topanga or Beverly Glen? And he goes... Oh, I've never trusted anything with a canyon in it. <laughs> and I knew exactly what he meant. And he was telling me he was gay. And it was just so great. <laughs> and I could relax at last. Because if Stephen Sondheim was gay, well, it can't be a bad thing. Oh, and
0: you didn't know he was gay before I'd that? I'd
1: heard. I'd said to him, I'd said, I heard that. But to have him just come out and say it in such a cool That's way so great. was so cool. So, yeah, it's just amazing. Yeah. But
0: he will be missed. It, it is the end of an era.
1: Yeah. And at the end of a segment, <laughs>
0: since we've talked
1: probably two hours on it.
0: We we do need to move on. Okay, Licorice pizza. Oh, yeah. I keep thinking about it. And I keep thinking about the fact that it didn't really have a story. It had characters, but it didn't have a story story. No, but they sort of did. I mean, the they char- had an arc. It was like slice
1: of life from these characters. And for me, however he does this, I don't, I can't understand how he makes it happen. But he shows them so close up. I wanted to see what they would say to each other. I didn't need a big story. It no, was like I their daily either.
0: life. They were so interesting. And they were so clearly meant to be together in some way. Yeah. And at the end, I had really given up on them ever getting together. It's weird
1: that they were interesting because in a sense they weren't interesting.
0: But the way he showed them up close,
1: he showed you that these kind of average well-flawed people, flawed yeah, people and- And not concerned about anything important, really. No. (laughs) They were unlikely candidates for capturing your imagination. But the way he showed them did.
0: Yes. And they weren't pretty people either. That was
1: the greatest part of it. It really was. They were unlikely movie
0: stars. They were. He was a little doughy. Yeah. And neither of their teeth were completely movie star, white and straight and sparkling. They weren't movie star no, types no. at all.
1: It was so refreshing. God, what I love was
0: there was something about him that I found really compelling in that he was so on the surface. He was very transparent. He said what he wanted. He didn't hide it.
1: Right. He was That's always right. saying
0: what he wanted.
1: Well, and at first you kind of were turned off by him because he's kind of manipulative. He's kind of pushy. When he first approaches the girl, what's his name? Greg Valentine? Is that his name? Gary. Gary Valentine. And when he first approaches, what's her name? Ilana. Alana. Alana. Yeah, when he first approaches her, he's kind of embarrassingly self-confident.
0: Well, he's like a stalker. Yeah, a he makes moves on her, and, and it's
1: too easy for him to talk that way with her. But she kind of gives back as good as she gets, and
0: she clearly sees something in him, and something that she can't easily shake off. Right, because right. Because she agrees to meet him, which is what starts the whole thing rolling. Really, if yeah, yeah. she'd never shown up to the restaurant, right. this is early in the story, so okay. it's not really a. Spoiler, but right. she hadn't taken that step inside of Tale of the Cock. of the cock. or just the cock, as, <laughs> as they say. As they call it, yeah. Then the two of them never would have started the kind of relationship that they had. And I thoroughly believe that Paul Thomas Anderson, at some time in his life, had an interaction with John Peters. Something. Because that coked up, crazy, delusional speech mm-hmm. that he has, mm-hmm. you just can't make that shit Right. Up. I kept thinking, God, this is a really shaggy story, but I like it.
1: Yeah, it kind of winds along, but doesn't have exactly an arc so much as you just wind along and you just keep going, but it doesn't ever get slow or boring.
0: Part of it was, she was without a plan. Right. She was just bumping along in her life. And then here he was, someone who had already been in television shows and movies and had an agent who happened to be his mother, but nonetheless, the family was in on it. It was a family business. Mm -hmm. We never did see his father. Yeah. So I'm guessing that he wasn't in the picture Mm. because when the mother worked late, he was in charge of the little brother. Right. And I love the fact that when he would leave the little brother, he'd say, I love you. And the brother would say, I love you you too. Oh yeah. yeah. It was very sweet. Yeah. But he was so directional Mm -hmm. and she was so adrift that almost in and of itself made their union inevitable.
1: He seemed very easy in life. He was not troubled. He wasn't a struggler, really. For whatever reason, it just seemed like this life thing came pretty naturally to him.
0: Yeah. You want to have a waterbed company? Just get a bunch of waterbeds and start calling people. And he didn't
1: agonize over her reaction to him. Whether or not she liked him almost seemed beside the point to him. I mean, I'm sure he cared. He wanted her to like him, but he wasn't going to stay up and cry about it. He wasn't that kind of person.
0: The sense I got was that he knew that they were destined to be together. Oh, okay. And that even when he saw her with someone else... Right,
1: or vice versa yes
0: it was just a little bump yeah it was a diversion that they were meant to be yeah he saw the long
1: view yeah. And
0: can I tell you how thrilled I was when it said Grand High School students oh, at the yeah. end? Yeah. So it was supposed to be at our old high school. I guess so. Yeah. Although it wasn't filled at our old high school. No, no. It i looked a like it though. Okay. Because I had used Grand High School as a location. Not I had used, but I was involved in a production that right. used Grand So I went back to Grand. Yeah, Grant, yeah. And I remember it so well. Oh, I mean, right. How could you forget what right, Grand right. High looked like?
1: Yeah, but it did look similar because it had like a quad area. Yes. And it had the covered walkways with little poles holding up the canopy and things like that yeah it it was very evocative it did look familiar yeah and it has so many references to an earlier period not only that it's in the U.S. in the 70s that's a whole character in itself in the movie but also just simple things that you forget about when you're a boomer like having a locker i see the kids use their lockers and I said oh yeah lockers was a key part of that whole thing yeah Uh, and lockers were where most of the important conversations happened (laughs) you know He does a great job with the nostalgia. It's not like a Valentine to the 70s, but it's a realistic photo.
0: What I was impressed with was that everybody didn't have long hair. Mm, Yeah. You know, everybody had different kinds of hair. Like Some of it was growing out. I had this feeling that the movie took place over a couple of years, Mm. right? Because they had two businesses, and she worked for Joel Wax.
1: so... Right, right. So that whole campaign had to have happened. Yeah,
0: that took some time. And she got involved in acting...
1: Yeah, the pacing seemed a lot like Boogie Nights, where you just get taken from one party to the next. And you just see, a yes. st- it's a string of experiences yes. more than a story.
0: And it's about the relationship, because they're constantly circling each other. Yeah, He gets those character actors yes. to do these amazing bits, like yes. Harriet Harris, who played an agent. Was and she the one yes. who said,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, we can't say. No, we but can't. Because she's, she's too good.
0: There's very little plot, so I don't want to spoil. So we should just maybe leave it at that. Yeah. Well, on that happy note, we're going to have to say goodbye to our boomer friends. So long, boomers. Goodbye, boomers. And remember, we will be dark from December 12th until hopefully early January. And we look forward to seeing you when we get back. Although we do have two more episodes to go before then. So we will talk to you again in a week. Bye bye. So long. See ya.